Welcome everybody to the fifth episode of Scotch Money, where we drink scotch and talk about money. You know you like it. Yes. Drink up, boys. Mm-mm-mm. I have my colleagues here, and you can find us at Voshed.com. That's V-O-S-H-T.com, and you can learn all about the things that we all do. I have with me Brian Arandez and Hunter Slay, geniuses in their regards. Say hi, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Mm-hmm. And today, we're going to be talking about capital structuring. And capital structuring is one of my favorite topics. Let me just open up my eyes. And I like talking about capital structuring because capital is, well, you know what they say, follow the money, right? Well, at the end of the day, uh, the, the money, you can talk about theory, you can have great ideas, you can do whatever it is that you feel like doing if you have the capital to make it happen. But capital is not equal. We do not live in an egalitarian capital world. Capital is, is separated and different capital is more expensive than other capital. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And I really would like to get some intros before we talk about that. Uh, let's, Brian, maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience in capital and then Hunter, you go and talk about your experience and, uh, you know, just a little bit of intro on, on yourself on an individual note. Yes. <laughs> you, Brian. Talk about it. Great. Um, my thoughts exactly. <laughs> and that's it. Just all you have to know about capital is that it's a push business. Push, 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 push all the time. All the time. All down the line. Push, push business, Brian. <laughs> let's come back to you hunter you go um uh, i've always been a fan of all equity in a project so i don't like to take on capital that has debt associated with it uh if i can avoid it um, it's very lucrative to do so because you can leverage your money and assets and do a lot, quote, more. Um, well, it's a with, multiplier. With leveraged capital, but there's a risk involved and it's just my risk tolerance. Uh, I like to minimize any debt-related capital. I mean, that's why... I, one of the reasons I, I know Dimitri, you feel the same way on that. That's one of the reasons, you know, all the Bosch stuff is all equity. It just allows us to weather a storm a lot, a lot better. And I, I feel like in today's current, you know, geopolitical climate, shall we say, uh, anything can happen. We got a lot of bubbles waiting to pop and I, I don't want to be carrying a note, you know, and having to cover overhead and, you know, it just seems, too risky right now. So I'm just not a talk fan. about Talk about that for a second, a note. Talk about, because not everyone's gonna understand what that means. And although we have sophisticated listeners, that's you guys, then um, not everyone's gonna know what a note is specifically. 
So talk a little bit about what a note is and the debt side. So a note is something that can be carried by multiple parties. Uh, that's a form of debt on a loan. So a lot of people even nowadays are into just note buying and selling. They don't even get involved with the property or whatever it is, whether it's a vehicle or land or, you know, they never touch it, never see it even a lot of them. They just look at basic um, specs, criterias, you know, like that meet what they consider a hedge for their investment and they'll just buy the debt note to where they're getting the payments on that sum from another person. And a lot of times they can get it at a discount. So what they'll do is they'll buy, say a $100,000 debt that say you or I owe to a bank and they'll pay the bank, you know, like 80 now. And here's your 80 for that hundred worth of debt. And they're getting the same percentage on that debt the bank was. Sometimes they'll refinance it and change different percentages as well. Depends on how um, sophisticated they are in the note, you know, world. But uh, yeah, some people make an entire business out of just note buying and selling, flipping notes. That's right. Well, so in my experience, I've found that the, so here's the way I look at it. And, and, and I'm sure you guys are going to agree. Uh, debt is safe, but it's not lucrative. As in, when you're lending out money, you, you can, you're, you're leveraging against an asset, right? And we're talking about, of course, in uh, real estate, right? So you're leveraging against an asset that is, let's say, an apartment building or an industrial facility or a single family home, whatever it is. If... If someone, if the person doesn't pay you back the debt, then you put a lien on their property, right? So you, you're guaranteeing your capital. Um, and then there's, you know, there's recourse that you have. However, your debt, you're not making 20% annually on that. You're making, you know, seven, eight, maybe. Uh, maybe a little bit more depending on the risk tolerance of the asset or how much debt they've taken. Uh, but essentially, that's what you're doing. With equity, so the capital stack works like this. There's, there's the cheapest money, which is debt, and everybody, everyone is pushing debt all the time, all down the line, because yeah. um, debt is a push business, as we all know. <laughs> Wait, you, you need to put a clip <laughs> so that they can reference. So that right, we'll just look up push, 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 the Twilight Zone. And yeah, we'll get sued by the Twilight Zone. We can put a, a little link in the description for people that want to see. It's a push topic. business debt. Debt is a push business. <laughs> Point of the matter is, it is. It's a push business. It so debt gets pushed on everyone all the time. And it's, it, look, in the beginning, if somebody's starting out as a developer, for example, it may be difficult to get debt. But it's really not to get debt against an asset. If you have an asset that you're buying, it's easy to get debt against it. The question is, is it worth it? My personal thoughts, if you have an asset that isn't cash flowing, as in it's a value add deal, whether it's a multifamily or if it's a, a, a retail site or an industrial building, if it's not cash flowing, then you take risk by doing what's called a bridge loan. 
bridge loan's going to help you acquire the asset and then you're going to refi out later usually when it's fully cash flowing it makes it easier to buy the asset because you don't have to put together as much equity equity is expensive it's difficult to get there are different levels of equity i'll talk about that in a sec um that being said debt it's a multiplier it it, it acts it, it can multiply your equity up or down and if you if you over leverage, if you take too much debt on an asset and then things don't go as, as planned and you can't pay the payments, you're going to lose your asset. Same thing with your house, right? Um, and, 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 and that multiplies up all the way. However, if it goes really well, then it's going to multiply up, right? That being said, there is a whole world of equity. And a lot of times, funnily enough, in, in the world of finance, a lot of people don't talk about equity. Um, in fact, equity is kind of this, you know, everyone expects the developer to bring in equity. Like we put in equity into our deals. Usually we'll do what, 10%? Mm. And then uh, you, you get other equity coming in. You have partners, right? Limited partners or another general partner to come in. You JV and then you take debt. That's the way, but, but everyone's always pushing debt my belief and it's been my belief and it continues to be my belief is if you don't have the immediate ability to pay that debt easily and if you're over leveraging as in if you're taking more than like 30 40 percent leverage on an asset that is cash flowing uh that's a risky play so instead of doing that risky play uh you can take equity you guys know what i mean Oh, for the podcast listeners that are just listening, we're nodding yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so the whole thing is, and I, and I know I sometimes I'll uh, I'll take control of this type of conversation because I love I'm a fan of structure, and I think that structure is what you fall back on. If things don't go as planned, you're going to have problems. If you have problems, you're gonna want to have a good structure to fall back on. I guarantee you every, every wealth, I, I guarantee you because I know for a fact, every wealthy family or developer that is successful is using mostly equity and then they're going to be taking some debt on the back end. As in once the asset is already cash flowing, then they come back, refi out equity, and then they, they move on to other projects using that equity. And that's for many reasons. And I, I'm happy to talk about equity um, if you guys want. But do you guys have anything to add? Well, before uh, we jump into the actual capital um, heavy uh, side of things, um, let's talk about the importance of um, structure and systems. Um, because it's, it's incredibly important, um, you know, to, to just define, um, you know, like what these things are. As I was uh, mentioning a while ago, um, uh, one of, at least the way I see it, um, when I was bootstrapping uh, my business, um, I didn't have anybody to slow me down. I didn't have anybody to bounce decisions out of. Um, you know, I didn't have any, um, essentially, um, people who also had skin in the game, um, who would say, hey, uh, this might not be a good decision. Um, 
and you know bringing in capital um you know there's there's debt which is always almost always you know dumb capital um and uh, because the only advantage of that is they they want they want their capital back and then when you bring in equity you have you have people to report to you have um you know you, you essentially have a peer group who even if they don't um, function as advisors they function as people to make sure they hear here's what's going on here are the updates here's here's what um, i'm doing for my business and they can speak up you know everybody has a voice um even if they don't have a say in the actual project they, they are able to show their um, perspective on things um they function as essentially your um peer group and your mentor group regardless of whether or not um they're actually um you know they're, they're actually driving the ship that's true yeah i will say this though so there, there's a difference between lp capital limited partner capital and general partner capital and that's control right whether it's in a business or in real estate you know lp capital is look i here's here's my opinion on on the capital stack specific to lp capital can you guys hear me okay i feel like this thing is like on and off it's perfect uh, I'm of the belief that it's much better to have one cook in the kitchen. One cook in the kitchen. If you have two cooks in the kitchen, you're gonna have a problem. If you have one cook in the kitchen, you're gonna have a delicious feast, if it's a good cook. So, um, in my experience in working with two cooks in the kitchen, me being one of the cooks and then other folks being other cooks, uh, you generally have, not always, like we work together, extremely well, which is why we're long-term partners. Um, but, and we all have strengths that we, you know, we use and bounce off of each other ideas and all kinds of other stuff. However, when you have um, competing personalities in similar strengths, you're going to have issues because people are going to want to People are going to want to do it their own way. And there are many ways to success, but if you have competing personalities, egos driving it, and people can't just back off of their egos, then you're going to have an issue, right? I was just discussing that right before the podcast. What a hard lesson that I learned in a previous uh, venture. It was a startup. I, I was $40,000 in before I realized the other two founders didn't think that compromise was possible in all situations they just i remember when you did that yep i was like well whenever there's two differing opinions there's two points there's always a middle between two points there's always a middle there's there's all this middle area you create it by having two different points like so compromise is always possible and they're like no we want to be able to say when it's in our area of expertise we we have the the call and if and if there's debate around it we can take a vote and i was just like that's not going to work with three founders uh, simply because we have overlapping, just like you were talking about, we have overlapping areas of expertise. So what happens when it's like, oh, this is in both our wheelhouse. Well, who's the more expert in this? Are we going to get into a debate on who the, the bigger expert is on those things? Like, and if we don't want to do the debate, what are we going to take a vote? Keep in mind with three founders, whoever originated the idea is for it. So it's really, you're just getting one other vote. So you're not even getting 
like you're getting 50% at you most. You get a tiebreaker. You know, you just convince one other guy that your guys, yours is the way you're done. Like, you know, so, and I was the youngest guy uh, in that trio. So the, uh, the two older gentlemen uh, tended to discount me based on my age and try to overrule me and just plow down a road that was not the way to go. It was around, based around cryptocurrencies and they just were of the old school. One of them's ex Wall Street, one of them's ex like pop commercial media marketing type thing. And they just weren't hip to the jive, unfortunately, of how they needed to position this thing. They're trying to do what they call a freemium version of an app and a website uh, funnel that was just all kinds of wrong. But So what happened with that? Uh, well, I learned a very valuable lesson, one of which was never uh, let the project outrun the paperwork. That is crucial. Have your documents in place. Make sure everybody agrees on everything in those documents and have a structure that has been sealed in the deal before you start committing the capital. That's, uh, that's a big structural lesson that I learned from that. And what's really crazy is I did the best thing I could possibly do for those guys. We were 33 and a third percent because there's three of us. I gave them 32 and a third percent of my equity. I took 1% for the $40,000 I put in because they wanted to have more than a $3 million valuation. The core software had been built for $3 million years previous that we were adapting. And so that gave them the $4 million valuation. Here's my 40 today, current cash, you know, because time value of money is another thing that capital has is a time value. So I was like, this is current invested capital. You can point to it. It's on paper, $40,000 in mm -hmm. for 1%, which establishes you at a $4 million valuation. And now how the hell did you secure yourself then? I was like, now you have 32% to go hire, you know, get somebody on board that can take the position of me or three people to make up what I was going to do or whatever you need to do to get it done, but go make my 1% worth something. And they proceeded to take it exactly the way I told them not to go and put time and effort into all the assets I told them not to do. And they haven't gone anywhere as a result. It, the website still is horrible. It's the model is horrible. It's not working. I'm just like, but total wrong play. It's exactly what I was trying to avoid, but at least I cut my time off and time is my most valuable asset. So at least I stopped putting my time into it a year ago, rather than just fighting and fighting and fighting this whole way. Cause I guarantee you, I would have been fighting the whole time. So, so that, that kind of goes into, look, I, I believe, and every, look, I will say this. Everyone should follow this piece of advice. Always get security in contracts. Whenever you're doing something together, when you're putting money in, you put contracts together. Yep. Everybody talks about the handshake deal. There's nothing wrong with a handshake agreement, but when it's time to put money down, you get a contract and you have a lawyer review that contract and you have your accountants make sure that you talk to your accountant about how you put that money in because that may, you may not know the best way for yourself. The thing is contracts are essentially nothing more than a, conversation remembered and a conversation crystallized but um and you have all of these checks and balances to make sure that there's clarity in that conversation 
the, the thing is, if the conversation that precedes it is already messy to begin with, then, you know, like having the contract, it, it, just, it just holds up something that isn't worth holding up. And from, from what I'm hearing, those guys weren't interested in having a proper conversation that, you know, respects each, you know, <laughs> respects their partners. And um, I think that should be the primary foundation. Um, I mean, even before structure, um, you know, you have to have decent conduct and respect. And one of the guys I was super good friends with, and I thought we would be friends for life type friends, you know, I was just like, man, that guy's a cool guy. Uh, but when it came time for me to step down, uh, he got kind of really uncool. And uh, the attorney bill came in even higher than I expected. I was like, hey, since I'm stepping down, is there any way you guys can at least help with the attorney bill? And they're just, don't even talk to me about that, I think was his exact words. Don't even talk to me about that. And hung up on me. And I was like, wow. I texted him. I was like, thanks, friend. Like, wow. Good luck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to even talk about that situation. More. But, that, but that, that's the thing. Like, you're so right. That, that's why I, I let the project outrun the paperwork. I should have had the paperwork. Uh, first and like brian was saying exactly we would have had the problems that we had that screwed the whole thing trying to get all of that squared away i feel you know like crystallizing it and getting it defined we would have had the same you don't believe in compromise conversation so yeah you would have had it sooner before the forty thousand dollars yeah i just wanted to get developers going i mean it was such it's like time crunch, you know, that like blockchain world moves at light speed. So I'm just like racing to like paying developers, like just code, code, code now, code now. So, yeah. I think this, listen. The good news is, by the way, my first payment to the coder uh, who was in Panama at the time, because it was the, the technical guy that did the software. It was his coder that did the software originally. And he was like, this guy knows it in and out. He can walk right into it without any domain knowledge transfer. You know, he knows the system. He built the system. He can just work it immediately. So it's the best buy and I can manage him well. He's a good worker. So it's like, all right, we'll go with your guy. So I sent the first payment to a guy in Puerto Rico. Oh, no, Panama. that I, I had never seen, never talked to, never knew. Uh, but I found out that he had started a coup uh, previously against, uh, <laughs> against someone in South America and had fled South America having failed, the coup failed. Uh, I found out it was a righteous coup though. It was a coup that needed to happen. There was a, t a guy that was doing really bad things. Uh, so this guy rose up against him and, and didn't quite win, failed and fled to Panama and he was going to be extradited and tortured to death basically by the regime that he was trying to overthrow if he couldn't give the guy that was going to turn him over a certain amount of money by a certain amount of time and my payment went to that and kept him alive so i actually saved a guy's life in panama so maybe that's why i did what i did like you know hey that's chalking it up to learning and uh yeah better luck next time but at least that came out of it so <laughs> That's one positive note. <laughs> nice. It, it, look, 
I'm not entirely certain where to take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> but here's where we take it. Back to structure. Back to structure, whole, and then, and then the we can whole, go to capital. Yeah, the whole <laughs> lesson of the story is have the structure in place before you do capital there. Like, period. Like, you know? If we guys are going to be saving Panamanians from, from crazy dictator warlords. The, the thing is, you were able to save that Panamanian because we, you didn't have a structure. Yes. yes. <laughs> my lack of, so my I lack have of to just say, stop doing structures because, <laughs> because there are Panamanians that need help. You never know what serendipitous thing can happen. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and who knows, he may go back later and win. Like, you know, like uh, he may mount up more people and go back. <laughs> I can have saved him. really owe you one. <laughs> See him on a t-shirt instead of Che Guerrero. I'm like, man, that's that Panamanian I say. So, yeah. <laughs> but so the lesson is structure before capital is placed. Always have the structure. Yes. That's the most expensive capital, is the capital that just goes completely out the window because of lack of structure. So, yes, that is true. Mm. The most expensive capital is the capital in your pocket. Could you touch more on that? Um, you mentioned that before, but I wanted to understand that better. Me? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a very good point. So, look. To you, or to one, the proverbial you, the most expensive money is the money that you have, right? Because you have it already. Um, and I'm not saying this in like a use other people. You know, they're the gurus, the, the real estate gurus that say, oh, use other people's money and blah, 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 blah. Look, there, there's reasons for that, but it boils down to this. The most expensive money is the money you already have because you already have it. And the point of investing is to make more money for yourself. And if you're in a group, it's to make more money for the group. That being said, we all put money into deals, but then there are different levels of, of capital. There's your own money, most expensive. There's preferred equity, which is essentially the first money out. As in, let's say, let's say, the three of us do a deal and we each put in whatever million bucks, $3 million deal. We each put in a million bucks and the return that comes out is 20% annualized cash on cash, right? Whatever it is. Um, the first let's, let's say you guys both have a, an 8% preferred return and I don't have a preferred return or what's called a pref in the business push business. Um, push, push, push. Uh, no. So let's say you guys have a pref and I don't have a pref. So the first 8% of that 20% return annually will go to you guys and then it will be split. So you guys have a preferred return and then I'll usually there'll be a waterfall. So like it'll be you guys get an 8% first, then I get the next 8% because I catch up to you guys and then it's split equally. So there, there will be a different structure for that preferred return, right? Uh, the, the next step, the next level of equity is parapasu equity. <clears throat> it's a fancy Italian, Italian, French, whatever. 
Ah, French. I think it's French. I think it's French. So it's a socialist thing. Because, uh, you know, the French are dirty, smelly, cheese-eating socialist. I love the French. Uh, you know, I tried escargot when I was in Paris. It was really nice. Uh, surprisingly. Snail-eating, delicious cheese, cigarette-smoking, good peeps. But um, pretty much just means equal. So if, if we do a deal, we each put in a million bucks, $3 million deal, and we're all Parapasu equity, our money's equal. So let's say we get a 20% return, and that's equal to whatever, $900,000 or whatever. Just I'm not going to do the math. Uh, $900,000, we each get $300,000. Boom, right? Uh, so there's no, pref there's no preference to who gets their money back in parapasu equity. Um, this is different, by the way, than control of the deal. Control of the deal is general partner or limited partner. We may all have equal equity for the actual money, the finance behind it, but I have all the control. I'll be the general partner, you guys be the limited partners, meaning I'm doing all the work and you guys are just putting in the money equal to me, right? That being said, usually there will be what's called carried interest on that. Carry, not usually, always, because nobody works for free. Surprise! No one works for free. Not in this business. <laughs> not in this push business. Okay. Push business. Generally, there's a split. So there will be some sort of split on cash flows. And again, you're, you're, we're talking about a waterfall. So the split on cash flows usually will be somewhere between, depending on the size of the deal, somewhere between three and 8%. So that's property management, asset management, things of that sort. And then there will be another piece of the carried interest on dispositions on the back end when you sell the asset. And that'll usually be between, you know, for new developers, it may be 10%. Usually it's 20%. That's kind of the standard. Uh, long time, you know, very well connected. Yeah, it, it, and again, it depends on the deal, but it can get up to 30. I've seen 40, but I'm like, how the heck are you even doing that? Um, the point of the matter is usually it's about 20% carried interest on the back end. Meaning, let's say the profit on this hypothetical deal that we're all doing is a million bucks net. Net profit is a million bucks after all fees and whatever then it's an 80-20 split. So I would get eight, or I'd, I'd get 80, no, I wish. Uh, I'd get 20% for doing all the work as the carried interest, and then 80% would go to equity investment, which is all of us, meaning that 800,000 that's left would be split three ways since we all have an equal parapasu interest, right? All makes sense? It's actually, it, it's far simpler than it seems um, if you really just think about it, it, that being said, after Parapasu, there's, you know, pretty much the world of debt. Um, and usually there will be some sort of mix of equity and debt in a project, and there will be a reason for debt. Um, I'm not going to talk crap on debt. There is an, there, debt has its place on the back end of the transaction and 
for a smaller amount of the transaction compared to equity. Again, 30% is what big time developers have. There's the secret. Yeah, there's a lot of that uh, waterfalling going on uh, in the note business that we were talking about earlier as well. Yeah. That's how a lot of people get the deals done and they try to offer, you know, a bargain on the amount and then they'll give them, you know, a pref past that. So it's like they'll still, the original owner of the debt gets a 1% or a little, a small pref up front. And a lot of times the reason the note buying happens is because you know like you're talking about if you have debt on the back end and things ca are cash flowing usually you don't see those notes and <laughs> they usually don't go anywhere because they're safe and they're performing they're confident in those notes and that's where the risk comes in and in, in the note buying business because people hear note buying they hear the concept like oh you get to take over debt and so people are just making payments if they don't pay you keep all that and you get the asset oh this is a no-lose situation well, that's where you really need to do your homework because a lot of the reasons you're able to buy the debt is because there's no confidence in the asset that's offsetting the debt. And when no, somebody is a no lose situation. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's not how life works. Yeah, unfortunately. And anyone who tells you different is trying to sell you something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Here's, here's my belief on why, why use equity as opposed to debt? Because a lot of people, and I've heard this for so many years. They're, they'll say, why use equity when you can use debt? And if you're using debt, then that's less risky because you're using less of your own in-the-pocket money, right? That's the logic. However, here's my logic. And you tell me if you agree with this. If I'm buying something, I'm buying it because I think it's going to do well. Obviously, then why would I buy it if I thought it was going to suck, right? Yeah? Exactly. So... That being said, I've been living life long enough to know that things don't always go as planned. And if things don't go as planned, what happens? If I have debt and I can't service that debt because I've tied up my equity or I've tied up my other stuff in different investments, which look, I'm not always liquid. I try to be always liquid, but it doesn't always happen. And if the economy takes a, takes a dump right now, then, you know, you, if you're tied up, what are you going to do? How long can you float your portfolio? Depends on how much debt you have, right? If you have 60 to 80% of your portfolio is debt, well, you didn't even have the money to buy the whole thing in the first place. So what, are you going to be able to float it for five, six years? No, you're going to lose your ass. And guess what? If the economy takes a dump, who's going to want to invest with you to help float it? Guess what? They don't have money either because they were doing the same thing you were doing. Oh, cause you're such a smart guy with all your debt. Try to maximize your equity. So it's getting greedy, right? However, if you own it in all equity, it's just my belief. You own it in all equity and things, everything that you thought couldn't go wrong goes wrong. You have to reposition the asset, right? So it's kind of like you're playing a game, the game of life, and something happens unexpected. You change it around, you fix it. You think of a strategy in addition to the strategies that didn't work and say, well, what didn't work? How can I fix this? How can I get better at it? 
But because you don't have debt breathing down your neck going, I'm gonna get you. Because you don't have debt, you can reposition that asset and fix it and still make money or at least make your money back. And it's also a psychological thing because you're not in a rush to do anything. You're not in a rush to fix it. So you could actually figure out, you know, you, you, you could look at other perspectives. You could go, so what's working with other assets? Can we do that too? There's a bug in my scotch. Uh, that's not good. He died happy. <laughs> he had to have gone in a happy way, at least. Yeah, too happy. <laughs> too happy. Uh, well, it's a good thing I have this tea. Yes, very good, very good. Mm. The point is... But yeah, solutions take time and time costs money. And based on how much debt you have going, that determines how much money your time costs. And uh, I don't like to be under the gun. That's, that's my whole thing. If, if, like you said, you can't plan for everything, things are going to happen. And when the unforeseeable comes knocking, uh, it takes time to come up with a solution. And I don't want my time to be super, super expensive. Because and you want to be able to wait for the right opportunity. Exactly. When, when I was starting out in business in 2008 in Vegas, 2008 in Las Vegas, everyone was losing their butts. And you know what was happening? Look it up. Look it up. There were people jumping off of high rises in Vegas, killing themselves because they lost multi hundred million dollar portfolios because they over leveraged. And their, life, their lives were gone. They had a bunch of pissed off investors and they were screwed. Banks were taking their assets. 2008, this wasn't even that long, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. So do I want to be in that position ever? No, I don't care. I don't want to be in that position. Investing isn't worth life. Your life is the most important thing. That being said, there were people... And I'd go so far as to say this, Brian, you come from a, a, a pretty solid stock out there in the Philippines. How much, tell, tell us some of the experience of the, the, the Filipino money and how they've used debt poorly. And how much debt do you think the, the big families in the Philippines are using on their assets? Well, on that side, you know, in the Philippines, you don't use debt. Um, I, I, it just, it just, there's no infrastructure for it. You buy everything with cash. So when, when we were first talking five years ago about how you do your business and you were talking about how, you know, you buy things in all equity, I was like, well, no shit. What, what's the <laughs> yeah, how else are you going to buy shit? Every other country does that. Not every other country, but a lot of other countries out, it is outside of the U S I've seen, and then please continue. I've seen that equity first, debt second. In the US, I've seen debt first, equity second. And I'm like, what is it going on here? Boom, crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I, well, over here, there's a lot of incentive to use the infrastructure, infrastructure that's been built because you have, Lazy. you know, everything's like, you know, everything's been built. People want you to use it. The banks want to be used so that they can, they can, they can make more money off of you. It's but, lazy. It's lazy BS. It's, it's the lazy way of doing deals. Just taking on debt. You don't have to run around. You don't have to make real partnerships. You just use the banks and the banks don't care about you or anyone. Yeah. And it's incredibly transactional because as you were saying, it's all, it's all just 
there's it's very clear what their benefit is. They're they're going to make money on interest. Uh, but when you're when you're working on relationships, you're working on the relationship period. You know, it's it it it's and and you know you just have to decide: is this a transaction business or is it a relationship business? And I, I always think that relationship businesses are more more lasting. I, I'll say this too. Another reason why debt is so proliferated in the U.S. is because most debt comes from institutional capital. What is institutional? Big, big old institutions. It's a bunch of fat cats sitting around in their suits saying that, you know, it's a push business. No, it's so most people don't understand what finance is. And most people don't understand where capital comes from. Uh, you contribute, not you, but you, you, you contribute to your 401k every year. You contribute to your IRA. You contribute to your, uh, your health plans. You contribute to your, all of these different institutions. And then large amounts of capital, your life insurance, your, all of these different institutions, insurance companies, uh, collect the capital. What do you think they do with it? They invest it with different operators, either on the debt side or on the equity side, and they do both. And then they pay out pittance to the 401k plans, and then they keep the bulk of it in fees. It's really nice for them. And you don't know any better because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, now that being said, there, that's why debt is so cheap here in the US, but it's also a game, right? Uh, it's, you can take away assets. If, if I'm putting in 60% loan to value, so the value is $100, I'm putting in $60 in debt, and you're putting in $40 in equity, and then things go downhill, my input on the debt side is $60, but I'm getting a $100 asset. You lost $40 because things didn't go your way. So it's secure. I keep reaching for the scotch. Surprise, it's not tea, it's scotch. <laughs> okay. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a matter of security. Other countries, uh, they don't have that infrastructure of, first of all, there, there's a lot smaller of a middle class in places like the Philippines, for example. I'm not talking bad about the people in the Philippines. It's a great culture. But the middle class is much smaller than the U.S., correct, Brian? Well, I, I don't know in terms of proportions, but, you know, I mean, in terms of sheer number of people, yes. Yeah. So the wealthy, they have all of the money, the wealthy and the political elite, and then the poor people don't. And then there's a, there, I, I feel like there, there's a, you know, we talk a lot about China. China has a growing middle class, but even still, it's not, it's not at the level of the US. We are strong because of our middle class, right? Um, we're stable because of our middle class. So the middle class is the, at, the most at-risk class to lose everything that they have. And so, they're, 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 but they're also in that, in that position of not 
understanding, you know, how many people, if you talk to, and, and I'd actually be interested in, in maybe even reading a study. I wonder if there's a study about this. If you talk to 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, what percentage of those people, the middle class folks, would actually understand how their uh, finances work or the financial system of this country from equity to debt? Wasn't there this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, written by um, some Japanese Robert guys? Kawasaki. Kawasaki. Um, I haven't picked it up yet, but I heard that, uh, you know, its, it's whole premise was um, on teaching the general public that, you know, money can work for them instead of you working to get money. And um, I think, you know, I think the whole, um, you know, people aren't taught to work with money or to think about money or you know, they, they just taught, taught to work for money. You just, you just get a paycheck and you live paycheck to paycheck and, and you're, you're, you're living a good life. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it, uh, that just makes you a cog of society. And, you know, it's, 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 it's an artifact of the industrial system. You know, to just get beyond that. You have to, I mean, money can actually work for itself. Yeah. You, you could put money to work. Um, Shadow self. <laughs> except, except um, you know, when you when you give your money over to an institution and you let the institution, um, you know, put the money, put your money to work, they're not doing it in your best interest. They're doing it in their best interests, and they don't have to show you how much they're making. All they have to show you is, oh, you're making this much. You're beating the bank. Ooh. Well, the bank does. So, I'd say this. Look, the fundamental purpose of investing is to beat inflation, which is between what, two and 4%, right? So you're not doing that in the bank. If you throw your money into an index fund, then you're gonna beat that. You're gonna make about 7% over the long haul. So you're gonna beat it. That being said, it's not a matter of, I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and yes, you should put your financial future in your own hands, period. That's what you should do. However, if you don't have the time or the care to do that, which some people don't, like doctors, for example, doctors don't care, then what are you going to do? Well, learn at least how things are structured, learn how to put things together, and then make partnerships. Learn. Go back to the networking episode of Scotch Money. We did a networking episode, right? Go to talk, look, look at the networking episode, meet people, and Look, you're gonna take risks, but when you're putting together your contracts, have your lawyer there, have your accountant there, and have a general understanding of how things work. You don't need to be an expert. I was talking to a friend of mine today. I had lunch today with, with a friend of mine. Um, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna say his name, but it rhymes with by long son. <laughs> That was that 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 wasn't close enough for anyone to actually guess it. Hold on. In any case, I was talking to a friend of mine today, and I said, look, you know, we're gonna put together this event and blah blah blah. And, and, and yeah, he's he's a partner of ours, he's invested with us. And he said, Well, you know, there's a bunch of people I want to invite to the event. I don't know, you know, I have a lot of friends that have a bunch of money, but they spend it all, they don't invest it. I was like, what? <laughs> what do you do? Why? You, 
there, there's a lifestyle of spending your money instead of investing it for the future. It doesn't matter how much money you make, whether you make a million dollars a year and spend it all, or you make a hundred thousand a year, but you invest it appropriately. Like you gotta invest. I'm of the belief here. Here's my Robert Kiyosaki book in a nutshell. If I write a book, here's what it's about. <laughs> Live below your means. Live below your means, invest appropriately, structure well. And if, if things go unexpected, which guess what? 100% guarantee you is the only thing I'll ever guarantee you. They will go unexpectedly. But if they do, and you structure it well, then you're going to be able to make your money back or figure out a way to fix it because you're not a stupid person. If, if you're thinking about, if you're listening to the Scotch money podcast, I'm going to take a wild stab and say, you're not a stupid person because you're thinking about listen this far. Yeah. You're definitely intelligent. Yeah. You made it like an hour in or something like that. Yeah, you're, you, you're, you're thinking about the right things. But, or you just like drinking scotch with people. Yeah, mine <laughs> has a fly. Enjoying a glass. Of <laughs> Excuse me, waiter. There's a fly <laughs> in my I scotch. Bottle by me. I'm completely out. I've been out for thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, structuring is very important. Learning strict. All of this stuff is. We live in the day and age of Google. You can Google anything that we're saying right now. And it's a matter of meeting the right people, talking to them about what they're doing, structuring things appropriately, and not listening to, look, there's going to be lazy people. I'm going to say it, and there's going to be a lot of people that give me flack for it, and they're going to say, well, Dimitri, what do you mean? Debt could be used responsibly. Me, 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 me. <laughs> and they're going to go a beaker on you. But I'm going to say this. No, like, Depending on your risk tolerance, you may want to take the risk of using debt. If you do understand that if, if things go unexpectedly, the more debt you have, the higher percentage chance that you lose your money. That's it. Does that mean you're going to lose your money? No. Does that mean you're, you're, everything's going to go fine? Maybe. It, it, it's a game of musical chairs. A lot of guys are playing musical chairs right now with hundreds of millions of dollars. And what they're doing is they're saying, I'm going to buy an apartment building and I'm going to lever up and I'm going to do some value add as in I'm going to fix it up and then raise the rents. I'm going to raise the rents. <laughs> and then what's going to happen is I'm going to sell it to the next guy who's going to do the same thing. But what happens when you get stuck without a chair in musical chairs? That's right. You lose your entire retirement. <laughs> In this game of musical chairs, you're screwed. And here's a, here's a funny example. It's not a funny example. And I'm not going to say his name, but let's say it rhymes with Bon Plonders. Are we allowed to do that? <laughs> yeah, I do. So, so my buddy Bon Plonders. <laughs> If any of these people ever listen to this, they're going to be like, geez, Dimitri, why are you doing this? And I'm going to say, because screw you, man. 
Nah, it's funny. No, so my buddy, he just bought several hundred million dollars worth of mobile home parks here in Southern California. I won't name the cities. And from what I hear, what I hear in the woodworks, on the streets, the wrong side of PCH, where we have to ride our bike to the beach, um, is that he, so what happened was he bought the, the mobile home parks, and then all of a sudden the cities, the, the, the particular city, wanted to impose rent control. Oh, snap, son. The unforeseeable coming. Unforeseeable. Guess what? He's got, I mean, there's several hundred million that he personally put in. He's got the money to float it, but you know how much he's losing every month because of that? Several million dollars a month. That's not a great investment. Now, over the long term, you're talking about primo land in Southern California. So over the long term, if he holds it and floats it, he'll be like, it's hard to feel bad for someone who's putting in several hundred million dollars, right? But it's not a matter of the, it's not the size of the investment. It's how you use it. It's true. And he used it very poorly. And I love to give him crap for it um, because he's so smug about it. No, I'm just kidding. It, 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 he's a great guy, all jokes aside. Um, fact of the matter is everybody, it doesn't matter who, look, there are going to be people out there. If anybody even listens to our podcast, let's, all, all jokes aside, if anybody is listening to this part of the podcast, there are going to be people out there who are going to tell you, I know everything and I'm going to make all of the best decisions and we're going to make a bunch of money and here's this great plan that you can read and you're gonna make a bunch of money with me. And you're gonna say, that sounds really great. And they're gonna have hundreds of millions of dollars behind them and years and years and years of experience. And you're gonna be like, wow, this guy, he's driving a Ferrari. Of course he knows what he's talking about, right? Maybe, but everybody, I don't care who you are, makes mistakes, everybody. And when, what happens when you're playing high stakes and you're making mistakes, you're losing lots of money. The more debt you use, the more money you can lose. And I think we happen to know someone from China whose family did in fact lose lots of money, right? I, I don't know if I want to say his name because I, I'm... I'm on a roll with saying, saying names wrong, but Brian, do you want to talk about that? Maybe without saying names that you know about it. I don't know details. I only know what he, I've heard from him. Well, uh, you, his, his family over leveraged his, his father was able to buy buildings and cities um, with all of the money. The richest family in the world at the time. Yeah. And he, um, one of the cities that he invested in, um, I think, had issues, and that caused their whole fortune to disappear. I don't know any details. That's the whole thing. The point, the fundamental point is, it doesn't matter if you have billions, or hundreds of millions, or millions, or a couple hundred thousand, or nothing at all. Everybody makes mistakes. You can be the smartest person in the world with the team of analysts, 
with the smartest guys all around you saying how smart you are and how smart they are. And you all went to Harvard and then you all, you know, laughed at the people that went to Cornell because they're losers. All jokes aside, I think we have some people who invest with us from Cornell. That was a joke. <laughs> no, but it doesn't matter who you are, how smart you are. You will make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. You don't know what you don't know. And you don't know what you can trip on. And, and nobody has a crystal ball. And if you do have a crystal ball, how much? <laughs> how much are you selling it for? I'm sure the guy uh, with the mobile home part, you know, having that kind of money, it's not his first deal. You know, like oh. he's done a ton of deals and it's still stuff like that can happen to you. Yeah, he wouldn't have known that the uh, government would change the policies on him. Yeah. Look, this just happened, by the way. So this is like this year that happened. Yeah. In, in 2019. Uh, that being said, I happen to know, look, this guy and everybody else. I Look, we all know the biggest developers here in Orange County, and they all make mistakes. Very few of them are going to admit their mistakes because nobody wants to admit their mistakes. It, you know, a lot of people have pride, and then they say, you know, everyone tries to build up their successes and, lim and minimize their mistakes. Nothing wrong with that. That's just life. C'est la vie is what the French, the socialist French say. Parapassou, uh, c'est la vie. See, you're learning French while listening to Scotch Money. Je ne parle pas les Français. <laughs> the point is, everyone makes mistakes. So when you, when you know you're going to make mistakes, no matter what you do, you will make some kind of mistake. Is it going to be small or big, right? Structure comes into play. And that's where, in my belief, if you can structure a deal, or if you go into a deal that's structured in all equity, you're limiting your chance of loss. And in real estate, by the way, that makes even more sense because you're secured by an asset, as in a building or a piece of land or whatever it is, a, real, a, a, a house, an industrial facility, a hotel, what, I mean, like, there, there are different risk tolerances for each of those asset classes, but fundamentally you have a piece, you have a building that you own and now you're making money on that. Later, you can lever up and pull your equity out. And if you, let's say you've cash flowed something for two years and then you lever up and you pull the rest of your equity out, now you have zero dollars in the building and now you're just cash flowing it and you've levered up. Okay, that makes sense. You've pulled your money out. You're not putting your money at risk anymore. You're putting, you're putting fictional dollars at risk. They're still real. And maybe you should or shouldn't, and you have to make that decision on your own, but you're doing so understanding that what you initially put in, you, you already have back. Now you're, you're risking it with fake money. You know what I'm saying, not fake, but you know. It's not like gold bars that you're saying. <laughs> you're not playing with gold bars. And if you are, how much? <laughs> and I'll take a crystal ball and a side of fries. <laughs> oh, man. The point is, if there's anything to take away from this conversation from me, and then Brian, and then Hunter, is structure it right. 
I prefer low risk and, and then later levering up to maximize a return. My preference. Understand you're going to make mistakes. I've made mistakes. Brian's made mistakes. Hunter's made mistakes, as we found out earlier. Sorry, Hunter. Um, it happens. Nobody's perfect. But I guarantee you, Hunter, in the mistakes that, you know, we can all have a laugh about it here on this podcast, but Hunter's made a lot of money in his life. A lot of money. He's a very smart, very successful guy. You make mistakes. Guess what? In that case, it was not structured in a way, I don't think, that was, you know, you get that money back or that he has control to get that money back. And a partnership fell apart. That kind of stuff happens. Um, But if you invest in things that have real assets, you have contracts in place that you've had your lawyers review to be able to have some sort of recourse, reasonable recourse. Don't be like a, don't be a jerk about it, but you know, reasonable recourse to secure yourself and your money. You're going to do much better than if you go into it willy-nilly, not thinking about structure, taking all of the risks and hoping that everything goes fine. It will not go fine if you do that. And that's all I'll say about that. Brian, do you want to add something? Well, to everybody listening here, don't trust yourself. Just, just don't. You know? um, I, I am of the belief that uh, you, can't, you can't trust your own decision-making ability. You can't trust um, your own uh, memory. You can't trust your own instincts. Um, and the best way to get around that is to build systems around yourself. Um, you know, for example, something as simple as self-control doesn't exist. You know, you, if you don't want to eat cookies, you move them to a different room. You don't buy cookies. Mm. You don't put them in front of you. Um, and, a little bit of cookie action. Yeah. <laughs> from, 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 from the most basic standpoint, that's, that's a structure, not having something in front of your face. And, um, you know, this, the same goes with deals like this. You can't trust what's going to happen because you don't know. You, you, you can't, it, it, it's not even being able to trust the relationships you have because you, you build relationships that you hope, I hope you can trust. But, but those people make mistakes and you make mistakes. And people want, you, you should be able to jump into investing and life and work with a sense of play um, and a sense of experimentation because why bother doing it if you don't? So, you know, unless, unless you really want to be stressed in life, you know, just, just build in structures to make sure that when things go wrong, you don't get that wrong. Well Amen. said. Amen. That's a great, great spot to, to segue. It's awesome, actually, because that's right along the lines of exactly what I was thinking uh, as far as a mitigation structure. I mean, even if you're the type of guy that's spending everything he earns, quote, uh, there's got to be a certain amount of your money that you designate as soldier money. And what I call soldier money is money that goes out and takes other money prisoner and brings it back. Like <laughs> I am a no kill, <laughs> I'm a no kill organization. Uh, but I like my money to go out, take captives and bring them back. Um, and you have to have a certain amount of soldier money 
uh, or else the, the, the play money and spend money runs out. You can't just spend all your money until it's gone or else it's gone. So take a section of it at least, make it soldier money. And then with that soldier money, make sure that they're bringing back enough, not only to cover inflation, because you want to continue to have the investment power and the buying power uh, of that money for years and years to come. Uh, otherwise, our, our, you know, politics and economists and, uh, you know, they can make decisions that devalue the money in your pocket. And that's why when Dimitri said, you know, money in your pocket is the most expensive money. That's right, because it's not bringing in anything else. And while it's not bringing in anything else, the system that we live in, the structure that we live in as a capitalist society, there's people in positions that are devaluing the money sitting in your pocket. So even though you put $2 in, you take $2 out, that $2 can't buy the same thing 10 years from now that $2 can today. That's right. So you have to not only outpace inflation so that you have the same buying power year to year to year, same investment power, but you have to outpace it enough to live off of the rest past the expenses of whatever you're earning the money through. Oh, and we lost Hunter. Aha. Um, he'll be back. The point is, look, I, I, I want to comment on what he was saying anyways and, um, and say this. Look, I know guys, and I'm not going to call out any names this time, not even pretend names. I know guys that they make $2 million a year working as attorneys, working as doctors, but then they take that money and they spend it on cars or planes. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to buy a plane or if you want to buy a car, or if you want to buy 10 cars or race cars, nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's awesome. And we should go racing together. But if you're not investing, if you're not buying real estate and look, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm just a, I'm, I'm just a simple Newport Beach developer uh, and venture capitalist. But if you aren't buying real estate, even if it's just on your own and you have no idea what you're doing, but you're just buying it to, to hold on to it, it's a good idea. It's a good idea to do. That's all I'm saying. Um, if you're spending, you can spend, you can spend $2 million a year. Believe me, on stupid crap, it's possible. Live under your means. You don't need that. You can get it. You can get it responsibly. But you don't need to do it when you don't have an oh shit fund. You need an oh shit fund. Everybody does. I don't care who you are. I know a lot of people that are extremely wealthy and even they have oh shit funds. That's all I'm saying. Nowadays, if you want a fancy car or a nice jet, just rent one or share one with well, other people. If you want to be like the Poe guy, <laughs> you can't be doing that. You got to buy yourself your own Ferrari <laughs> or Lotus. Surprise. Right after that talk on <laughs> living below your means. Well, it depends on what your means are, right? Um, but no, but all jokes aside, look, I, I, I was, so I was at that lunch earlier and, and my friend was saying he invests in everything. 
everything, stocks, real estate, companies, seed, early stage companies, every gold, diamond. Like, the more diverse you can be, the better. And then the better your structure is, the better. You're spreading a risk around. Like it goes back to the first episode. But that being said, I think I'm done talking about it. I, I'm happy to talk more about the capital stack, but I think we're good. Um, Brian, do you have anything to add before we sign off? Um, Hunter said that he won't be coming back. His laptop died. And his laptop died. See, you got to think ahead of structure. Point is, thank you everybody for listening to the fifth episode of Scotch Money. Hopefully our sound is better this time and we'll see and we'll, we'll edit it in post. I want to encourage everyone to smash that like button, to stomp that subscribe button, smash it up, smash that subscribe button. Do it now. Do it now. En enable your push notifications. Push, push, push. It's a push business, Scotch Money. We'll put a link to that video clip down there. You know, when you, when you, when you sent that clip to me the first time, I was like, what? This isn't funny at all. And it's just, you repeat it enough times and it just becomes funny. It's a push business. Drive. <laughs> you got to drive it. Drive it all the time. All the time. All down the line. Drive. Push, push, push. In any case, enable your push notifications. Like us on the Facebook. Tweet us on the, the Twitter, Twitter. Uh, uh, go on the YouTube and smash the like and subscribe and the retweet buttons or whatever. Uh, and then we're also on the podcasts. If you're not looking at my face and you're just hearing my voice, then God bless you. Uh, <laughs> and we'll see you guys next week for the next Scotch Money, hopefully without bugs in it, podcast. Thank you so much for showing up. We love you. Goodbye.